0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Humility Gap podcast. I'm Bethan Willis and throughout this series I'll be talking to academics, politicians and public figures to find out how we can become more open-minded. We'll be looking at the virtue of intellectual humility in order to help us really focus in on the habits and practices which can enable us to become more open-minded. In this episode we talk to the journalist and author David Goodhart. He has worked for the Financial Times, is the former editor of Prospect magazine and currently head of demography, immigration and integration at the think tank Policy Exchange. His book The Road to Somewhere explores the divisions which lie behind the Brexit vote and other contested political issues. David suggests that there is a growing disconnect between a class of university educated anywheres with achieved portable identities and the more traditional somewheres whose identities and life experiences are primarily rooted in a particular place. In relating these ideas to our theme of open-mindedness, he suggests that being aware of our tendencies towards groupthink, evaluating our emotional responses, and recognising the common humanity of our opponents can all contribute to the development of open-mindedness. So, During your career, how Mm. have you seen the nature and tone of public debate change?
1: Um, I've seen it change a fair amount. It's hard to tell when you're sort of inside it, but I think, I I mean, I've had direct experience of being sort of on the wrong end of a lot of criticism. I mean, I, I got into, I suppose you could say I got into the sort of public debate itself back in 2004 when I was editing Prospect Magazine. I wrote an essay about the about the tension for the center left between the principles of of solidarity that were historically obviously part of the left worldview and the, the principle of diversity that was very much part of the modern left and the tension between those two based on the assumption that people are ready to share and trust people that they have something in common with um, and that diversity can sort of pull away at some of the of the threads of that um, and that, it was reprinted in the Guardian got me into a lot of trouble I was accused of being a racist by lots of people um, which is not a terribly pleasant experience um, and I think that that is quite a good example in a way of the way in which sort of socio-cultural issues have become more important than or as important as socio-economic ones um, and socio-cultural issues to do with gender to do with race to do with identity um often have a very personal and kind of emotional charge. Um, you know, it's a black person telling a white person that they're stereotyping them or discriminating against them. It's a daughter telling a father that they're a they're a chauvinist. And um where you know you, you whereas you go back go back to I'm old enough to remember some of the arguments in the seventies and the eighties that were much more about socioeconomic issues. And you could see, you know, things were just as as brutal if not more so in some ways. Um, you know, we had, we had blood on the streets in a way that we don't really at the moment, uh, And you know, really brutal. I mean, I covered for the FT, I was a Labour reporter. I covered some of the, uh, the big disputes against the Thatcher government, the, uh, the Eddie Shah dispute, the miners strike and so on. Uh, so they were re- really very tough arguments, but they were, they were about things that were not so usually, I mean, you could say class was involved in it, but, but, um, we, we, we had a long history of talking across class boundaries about these things. Um, and there, was a, you know, there were lots of working class people who were quite conservative. There were quite a lot of middle and upper middle class people who were quite leftist. You know, there was a sort of more fluidity, perhaps. Um, and so,
0: was, you, so you wouldn't get, for example, a minor saying, you don't understand my experience as a minor, and therefore we can't I, I Yeah, I,
1: you, I think you probably would. But um, I guess you're probably less likely to meet a minor... Right, okay. <laughs> um, whereas, you, you know, you are quite, if you're a man, you can't really avoid meeting women right. if you're a white okay. person. Right, it's, it's or, greater t- exposure to uh, difference or the yeah. ways
0: that we categorise difference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're coming up against harder kind of boundaries in terms of personal um, disagreements, which aren't so abstract, which aren't things yes, that we so can it, reason so it's not market state, it's not, anymore. you know,
1: what, what level of redistribution would be most appropriate. Or so, you know, it, these things are very much you know, carrying an emotional charge because they're more personal um And I think the other thing that 's happened well is there 's a sort of almost a sort of two divergent things that are sort of like pulling against each other is on the one hand you 've become you've you 've had a much more dominant educated class that no longer knows its place i mean you know when I was at universities, six or seven percent of the population went. there was a small uh, rather cohesive elite that was relatively relatively open obviously it tended to be dominated by people who came from relatively privileged backgrounds, but it was relatively open to um, to newcomers too, and it had a it had a sense of itself. It had perhaps had a self confidence, but it also knew that it was deeply, deeply unrepresentative of the rest of society in all sorts of ways, uh, and so didn't presume. I think it's fair to say didn't really presume to impose its own, often quite liberal, internationally minded, whatever values. That has changed now that we've, we have the mass expansion of higher education, an absolutely crucial, uh, probably the most significant social fact in my lifetime, the mass expansion of higher education. So we have now have almost half of school leaves going to university, uh, getting on for 40% of the workforce uh, now has a degree. Uh, universities, particularly in this country where they tend to be um, residential universities, you leave home. It's also exacerbated the economic geography problems of the country. You know, he, you know, working class towns like Rotherham, Mansfield, they lose, I don't know, ten, fifteen percent, twenty percent of their brightest eighteen-year-olds every year, and they never come back. Most of them never come back. And um they join the the, the, the cognitive class who tend to have, in my terms, uh, in my kind of anywhere, somewhere terms, tend to have anywhere ish presumptions, meaning they sort of favor they tend to be liberal-minded, they tend to favor openness, autonomy, mobility. Uh, they have they have achieved identities. I think that's the, the, the they tend to have achieved identities identities that have uh, that have emerged as a result of their own achievements. They tend to think of themselves as sort of almost sort of self invented, and that means that your identity is much more portable. So you can fit in anywhere. So you're much less. You have much weaker group attachments. So rapid social change doesn't discombobulate you. Uh, it, whereas if you um, you know, if you have uh, if you have a kind of more somewhere identity based on place and group, then rapid change, um, high levels of gentrification or immigration or whatever can uh, can discomfort you because your your identity is so much more tied up in place and group. Uh, so uh, so so. But anyways, I think uh, um, many of the particularly more elite anyways don't really get that actually. Um, I mean, not all of them, but many of them I think, which is why we have plowed on with a form of politics that has been very uncomfortable to a lot of people in this country. And I I think um, too few people notice that, really. Um, And I think another significant change is that the highly educated are now, generally speaking, of, as I say, that sort of progressive politics. So not only, you know, traditionally educated elites have thought, look, you know, clearly we're, we're better than the masses. You know, we know more, we're more knowledgeable, we're more educated, more rational um but they also kind of knew that they that they were sometimes acting in their own interests you know, I mean whether it's you know, preservation of of sort of ancien regimes of various kinds property regimes of various kinds um
0: so there's greater self awareness
1: well sort of yeah but whereas there's much greater opportunity I think for self delusion amongst modern elites because they tend to their common sense view at least on socio cultural issues tends to be progressive. So not only are we cleverer than the other people, but we're also um, better than the other people. Okay. Um, and I think that's a fatal combination in some ways. Um, and we are also then acting on their behalf. You know, you hear it the whole time in the Brexit debate, you know, oh, you know, um, that, you know, they're going to be the ones that suffer, you know, and you they obviously being the Brexit voters, voters in Sunderland, yeah. they're going to be the ones that but suffer. But you
0: don't think that moral superiority existed... Before, in a previous sort of... Is this
1: not- I think it did, but I think it was, it was more overt and sort of self-interested in a way. Look, um, we're better than them, and we know perfectly well that a hierarchical society is the only kind of society yeah. that works, so, um, you know, that, so, we, so we've got to stick to you know, keeping the franchise limited, you know, whatever right. the argument might have been before the mid-19th century. But now uh, we
0: delude ourselves that, that, that we're
1: not... So not only are we better educated, but we're acting in the interests of everybody. Yeah. um and um uh but 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 i i said there were these divergent trends because i think on the one hand you've got you've got a much more dominant um educated generally speaking sort of liberal-minded sort of anywhere cognitive class uh that uh has sort of separated has separated itself out um regardless of where people what people's social origins were it's sort of through the sort of sorting hat of modern higher education and and residential universities, it sort of sorted itself out into, into sort of different social networks. But at the same time, you've had the opening up of the public domain as never before in human history. So, you know, who wrote for the newspapers, who appeared on television, who, whatever, what used to be, and to some sense still is, very, very tightly controlled. And now, you know, anybody with a, you know, with a wi-fi connection can can take part in in public debate you know on admittedly through social media generally but i mean social media has become more and more important you know they on facebook or twitter or whatever
0: and you think that's largely negative then
1: i don't think it is no I, i mean i think in a way the the opening up is rather a good thing um um but of course it has led i mean well it's a sort of cliche it's led to greater polarization i mean i think that's probably true uh, you know, it's partly in the nature of the, you know, it's kind of, what is it, the, you know, the Kahneman thing, it's fast thinking rather than slow thinking generally, I mean it's people's yeah. sort of, you know, instinctive yeah. anger about something, you know, bang, 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 uh, and, the, and, it's, you know, and the kind of business plans of many of these companies is sort of built around that, um, that kind of instant reaction, uh, angry instant reaction is sort, is sort of part of the, part of it's the new spirit. Um, you know, everyone seems to assume we're in the kind of Wild West period yeah, that will exactly. be, and we'll either find some forms of self-regulation or yeah. state regulation or some combination of the two going forward. So this may be both a peculiarly free and a peculiarly sort of angry period, uh, and, and things might get better, albeit possibly slightly less free.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's get to our next question. So. I think the key division you've outlined to some extent in your book, The Road to Somewhere, is between anywheres, those with these portable, achieved identities with few attachments to place or stable communities, and somewheres, who are more rooted, generally less well educated, and have a greater mm. emphasis on community security and familiarity. Mm. Um, and you suggest that the university educated global citizen anywheres aren't quite as open minded as they think.
1: They are. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that all anywheres are global citizens or think of themselves as global okay. citizens. I mean, I'd say there's a very small subset, in fact, of anywheres who are very internationally connected. And, okay. Because we're talking about yeah. a very, we're talking, we're talking about, about, you know, about a, a third population. of the population, yeah. nearly, okay. I mean, right. who are, yeah. But, but
0: I think you were saying that they, they believe themselves to be generally better, progressive, and perhaps are not as aware. Yes. Of yes, I think the context in which they are operating. Yeah. And I just want I wonder if there's is this anywhere perspective inherently arrogant? I'm I'm thinking, do we need to have some kind of connection to place, to community, a strong sense of mutuality or independence in order to be open-minded, in order to try and see from alternative perspectives and see that there are alternative worldviews, that are informing way
1: I I think we just have to remember, you know, the famous David Hume quote. Is it David Hume? You know, he's you know, that reason is the slave of the passions. Um and you know people, just because you know lots of facts, does not mean to say that you are more objective or neutral about um, you know your judgments about society or politics um, I mean I think you know clever, educated people are just as subject to groupthink in my experience and i and i and i, and I say I speak from some bitter experience here i mean i you know, 've been very much i think the... I mean, well, I don't think myself as a victim. I mean I've been on the wrong end of um a fair amount of sort of left liberal groupthink. Um and you know it, and it's a very powerful thing. I mean we um yeah we're much more subject to you know sort of quasi religious states of mind I think um than we um than we realize. I mean it's a, it's a sort of trope of social psychology in a way isn't it? You know people like Jonathan Haidt talk about how yeah, you know, we may think we're, we're secular, but we still have you know so so many of the ways in which we sort of view the world are would be recognisable to to um, to people um, to highly religious people. Okay, uh, but
0: religion tends to be rooted in these kind of places and communities, and I guess that's what I'm trying yeah. to drive at. Is there a sense that anywheres need to reconnect with uh, places with given communities rather than? And I, I, I mean, I, I, well,
1: that's. I mean, I think that's a bit unrealistic, but really. I mean, particularly in this yeah. country, and you know, we have so much, you know, the over-domination of London. Um, it's, uh, you know, I mean, the whole, the whole sort of higher educational funnel is not going to suddenly disappear. Even, even though I do think it has, it's over-expanded itself, and I think, I think, um, I think we will see a big change actually in the next sort of five, ten years. Um, but I think it's 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 not so much. I mean, yeah. In, in an ideal world, it would be easier for people to stay where they come from if they want to, and not everybody does, obviously. But those people that do, would like to stay where they come from, but who are also, you know, of middling or above middling cognitive ability and and have some ambition, want to live an achieved life, and to be able to do that in Mansfield or Rotherham. Um, rather than, um, you know, places like that that tend to, um, you know, lose 20-odd percent of their brightest young people every year and who, generally speaking, don't go back. Um, so, you know, having, you know, skilled, you know, achieved achieved lives for people with a more somewhere disposition, I think, is, is something that, you know, economic policy should almost seek to achieve. Um, but, um, but I think... You know, we will always... I mean, there's nothing wrong with mobility. I mean, you know, in, in, you know there's a lot to be said for, um, for you know for being well-traveled and having lots of different experiences. I mean, you know, it can, you know, in the right... Treated in the right way, I think it can enlarge your... Um, enlarge your character in some ways. Um, not necessarily make you a better person, but, um, you know, m- make you um, improve your judgment, perhaps. Um, so... I, mean, I certainly wouldn't be in favour of of kind of you know, looking down mobility. Uh, it's just that those people who are who are mobile in our sort of social context in modern Britain are, are often uh, the the people who have passed through the higher into the sort of higher education sorting hat, and, um, and 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 who who then live their lives almost completely amongst people like themselves, which is actually something that. Is much less true, even of other developed countries. Um, I mean, when, when I went around talking about my book, often in the university context, you know, I'd ask people, you know, so how, how many people here are graduates? Almost everybody put their hands up. So, how many of you have close friends who are not graduates? And a very small number of people who put their hands up. And I don't think you you wouldn't tend to find that in America, partly because half of American students live with their parents still. People often go to university in their hometown, as is the case also in continental Europe. Um, So you don't get that same sort of sociological break that we have here. So that that can tend to reinforce the sort of the liberal anywhere group think that that we were talking about. But I think so uh, the answer to that is not to stop mobility. The answer to that is to encourage liberal anywhere minded people to practice what they preach you know, they're supposed to believe in pluralism,
0: mm.
1: you know. The, the, and what will that
0: involve exactly? What, what do you mean by practice what they preach?
1: Um, accept, be more self-aware, yeah. realise that, uh, that, that everybody is subject to, to, to groupthink, just because they have more facts... All it means is they're better at winning arguments. I mean, that that that, that they're, they're better at winning arguments against some ways because they have got more facts at their disposal. They bloody well ought to be better at winning arguments anyway. They just spent three years sitting in a university. <laughs> um, but it doesn't mean to say that their that their social vision is superior to those people they disagree with.
0: Yeah, I guess kind of relating to that, you you've talked about your own ideological shift from out there liberal to small c conservative position. Um, and in a recent column you wrote, you said to see yourself as others see you is one of the virtues that's hard to achieve but always worth striving for. Um, and that shift sounds like the beginning of humility, the way that we would talk about it in this this series. Mm. Um, so ha- yeah,
1: to try guess. and catch your, you know catch yourself out. You know, you know, ca- you know when you feel an emotional response to something that somebody has just said or written or you know, you know because you you know you are I don't know you are. A patriotic, you're a moderate nationalist, you know, you you're kind of angry because somebody's sort of attacking Britain in ways that you don't think is fair, so but but you should then just stop for a moment and kind of think about the emotion and and sort of extract yourself from it in a way and say it's perfectly reasonable to be patriotic and, and a moderate nationalist. But actually perhaps this person does have quite a good point about how, you know, historically Britain has done X, Y, or Z. Um and um and that's not really that hard to do. No. Um, and
0: do you think you keep doing it? I wonder if once you've switched your position in a significant way, whether you then sort of rest on your laurels. Um, uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I hope not. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously a danger too. You know, you just, um, or there's a, a kind of another danger is that you sort of become a contrarian for its own sake. You know, you're, you're always just on the, on the other side of, of the argument. Well, you know, contrarians are sort of useful people up to a point. But after a while, they sort of stop being taken seriously um so it's a constant self-reflective practice really isn't it right this kind of
0: self-scepticism yeah. am, am i understanding this correctly what are my emotions kind of drawing me towards and yeah yeah uh, self-check
1: kind of and, and, and yeah and trying not to trying to listen to what people say and not just and not uh, you know we all classify you know i sort oh bloody you know it's another bloody liberal who's sort yeah. of saying pile of shite um um, but actually, um, you know, try not to put people into boxes. I mean, of course, we can't avoid doing it, but, you know, try at least be so aware as of the possible. fact that you're doing it.
0: Yeah, OK. On this podcast, we're asking whether cultivating intellectual humility is the best way to become open minded And so far, our conversations have suggested that acknowledging our limitations is an important part of developing these virtues. But when we look at our political discourse, particularly when it's mediated through the media, there doesn't seem to be much space for owning limitations. We see certainty is rewarded, and nuanced complexity, uncertainty, doubt are depicted as weaknesses. So, do you think that's an accurate picture? First of all, and if so, can politicians convey deep convictions and establish authority whilst remaining open-minded or humble?
1: Well, yeah, I, th- I think they can, and you know, and some of, some of the most attractive and successful politicians are those who have at least learnt to pretend to respect the views of their opponents. I mean, I mean perhaps in some cases they genuinely do, but, you know, you're just listening to, you know, question time or any questions, you know, those people who, you know, they have probably had training in this, you know, that, that actually, you, you know, your response is, well, I have a great deal of respect for... I mean, sometimes it can sound facetious, but, you know, to say, you know... I, and, and actually and then find something in what your crazy opponent has said that you can actually agree with and then say "But you know however blah blah blah," okay. I and mean, with that actually a degree of um sort of fair mindedness at the very least and mean it's not humility, but a degree of fair mindedness that uh, you're signaling to the audience that you have put yourself you have listened to what the person is saying, you have put yourself in their position to at least some extent and but isn't that, that
0: virtue signaling i mean that's that's if you're saying this no, is a well, kind a, of technique, a, isn't it? Well, it's right. a
1: technique for winning an argument, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, that's a good thing because the technique requires at least a limited mm-hmm. amount and, uh, and whether it's acting or real it doesn't really matter um, because it's, you know, it, it's, a, it's sort of part of a public conversation. It's part of a sort of... Uh, of an ethos, you might say. Um, and, and if that ethos is, you know, it's encouraging people in the pubs and clubs to argue in the same way, that must be a good thing. Because, but
0: shouldn't, shouldn't we require... Real sort of character in our politicians, or is that
1: hopelessly idealistic?
0: Don't we want to see that kind of character? Isn't that what we place trust in? What, what the do you real think? Real
1: characters are like that really really matters that much, does it? I mean, it's kind of you know. I don't know. Um,
0: but don't those techniques kind of wear thin after a while? Do you not think we see
1: through them? Um, well, like people don't, well, I mean, I think we're as a political culture we're very ambivalent about conflict. On the one hand we appear to really rather like it, you know, we have this very adversarial parliamentary system, legal system, um, you know, quite, quite sort of, you know, I lived in Germany for three years, you know, literally quite a long time ago, so Germany's probably caught up with us a little bit in this respect, you know, our, our, we've got a pretty aggressive public culture and newspapers, and I remember I, I was in Germany when Spitting Image um, had, I think, actually just come to a close in this country, and they were just sort of, hor- you know, the idea that you could have on screen the Prime Minister, you know, there was a famous scene in which Margaret Thatcher goes into a barber and, and the, the, the Margaret Thatcher puppet goes into a barber and says, you know, give me a give me a popular cut, barber. And the barber takes out an enormous knife and slices off her head and blood gushes everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, at one level, that sort of... But that's that, irreverent, that, isn't that, it? Well, at one, I mean, but at one level, that is kind of what, you know, our... our Popular culture is sort of about that, and the Germans yeah. said so we could never do that in yeah. Germany. I mean, I think probably now they, they could, but um, but yeah. on the one hand, so we we seem to like conflict. Our our institutions seem to be based around it more yes. than many other countries, and on the other hand, we don't really like it very much. You know, and um, we you know everyone's upset at the moment because the country's so divided over Brexit and uh, and and people are turning off programs because it's just people shouting at each other. And you know, we, we want calm, sensible, moderate people to run the show, we think. And yet we also support these institutions that seem to
0: Require sort of pull the carpet from under them. What do you think are the most important habits or practices which might help us to cultivate open-mindedness? What do you think? Are there some missing ingredients that we need to really focus on which will help us to have better debates, be more open-minded, um, looking for alternative perspectives that may kind of shape our own?
1: Yeah, I mean, putting yourself in the other person's position is, you know, is quite hard, um, particularly if you feel yourself to be persecuted in some way um, or put upon um, or treated unfairly. But I mean, this is, you know, this is pretty basic Christian ethos, in a way, isn't it? Um, um, You know that. The universalism of the, you know, of the famous um, quote from St. Paul, you know, we are all kind of, you know, we're neither sort of Greek nor Jew, yeah. man nor woman. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's not true. <laughs> I mean, Greek and Jew are different, man and woman are different. Um, but that sort of, that ethos of at least, um, yeah, I mean, seeing the humanity in one's opponent, um, Uh, or seeing the humanity in in one's fellow citizens. I mean, I assume that that ethos emerged at that time, I guess, for perfectly sort of understandable social and anthropological reasons, because more and more people from different kinds of groupings were coming together in the early towns and cities of the Middle East, and this ethos helped to keep the peace, essentially. Um, But obviously there was something quite attractive about it, because it was a very powerful and successful Religious movement um, so there's something in us that that kind of does want to reach out um, and be reasonable and see the humanity in the other person,
0: even when we feel that we're the victim or the persecuted okay. the,
1: yeah, yeah. Or the underdog yeah um you know as as you know Jesus himself was, you know, and he you know he asked for the forgiveness of his persecutors.
0: Yeah, excellent. Okay, thank you very much.